Hello, I'm your host, John Martin, and many thanks for tuning in to your Bible teaching program, Search for Truth. I give you a very warm welcome as you join us in Bible Talk number six, the final one in our present series with Bible teacher Brian Johnston. If you've been following the past five weeks, Brian's been taking us through the New Testament letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So if you've got your Bible ready to hand, then you'll be able to follow when Brian reads some of the verses from the letter. There's a free transcript booklet of all the talks in this series, and I'll be telling you how to get one at the end of this programme. But now let's sit back, relax, and listen to Brian. Thanks, John. A classic vaudeville routine begins with a pitch-black theatre, except for a large circle of light coming from a street lamp. In the spotlight, a man is on his knees, crawling with his hands in front of him, carefully probing the lighted circle. After a few moments, a policeman walks on stage. Seeing the man on all fours, he poses the obvious question, Did you lose something? Yes, the man replies, I've lost my keys. Kindly, the police officer joins the man's search, and two figures now circle the lighted area on hands and knees. After some time, the officer stops. Are you absolutely certain this is where you lost your keys? We must have covered every inch. Why, no, the man replies matter-of-factly, pointing to a darkened corner. I lost them over there. Visibly shaken, the policeman explains, Why then are we looking for them over here? The man responds with equal annoyance, Isn't that obvious? The light is better over here. This classic comedy enacts a subtle point. It's far easier to limit any self-examination to comfortable places. Searching in the dark and difficult corners of our lives is less desirable than searching where we'll not find disturbing answers. This is the theme of Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. We live in a defiling world. Someone older has said that when they were growing up, all today's temptations were available. But back then it was like walking down a corridor lined with doors on which were the names of different temptations. The difference today, largely through the global reach and instant accessibility of the internet, is that when we walk down the same corridor, all the doors are now already wide open. Access to corrupting material has never been easier. And if our purity is tested today, then so is our submission. The general command to be subject to one another is applied in what follows to three different sets of relationships. This equally is challenging because it goes against the self-assertive spirit of the modern age, makes us all the more aware that we are covering in these two chapters the terrain over which the spiritual conflict of chapter 6 rages. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here, in Ephesians chapter 5, 
verse 21 to 25, the submission of the wife is coupled with the requirement for the husband to be loving. Perhaps, ladies, the former isn't quite so daunting when we realise that it's equally God's desire that the husband should always have his wife's best interests at heart. It must be easier to submit when we are assured that the other person is seeking our well-being. Probably with these verses in mind, Martin Luther once said that human marriage was God's best way of explaining himself. It's seen here as reflecting the relationship between Christ and his church. Marriage, a permanent marriage relationship, is modelled on the spiritual union of Christ and his church. But we spoke of three specific areas of submission, not just one. So let's read further now. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. These verses show that children are to submit to their parents and also that employees are to submit to their employers. Satan knows this is what God wants and he tries to disrupt these things. He's been successful today in disrupting marriages, even Christian marriages, and the family unit is also under heavy attack in a society of absent fathers and dysfunctional families. Satan is attacking the very fabric of society by attacking the divine institutions of marriage and family life. We need to react by living defensively, by using the principles Paul now shares. You see, verse 10 begins with the word, finally. This word implies that a conclusion to what has previously been written will now be drawn, as we read about the spiritual armour from Ephesians 6 verse 10. The spiritual armour that's available to us for the battlegrounds which we've looked at briefly already in chapters 4 and 5. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, or the full armour of God, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. We are taught here about the need to be strong by God's help in the spiritual battle against the forces of evil. The value of our Christian life for God depends on understanding this information. We'll start with the first command in verse 14 and the first description of how we're to stand by buckling on our belt. Before a Roman soldier put on his armour, he put a belt around his waist. To be able to examine the belt properly, we have to get rid of our 21st century ideas about belts. In the first century, when you got dressed, you would put on your loincloth, which was like an oversized nappy. Then you put on your undergarment, which was basically a long baggy shirt. After that, you'd put on your cloak. Basically, this process meant you had all this baggy clothing hanging off you, which is why you needed a belt. It'd be used to, to gather up all that loose clothing and hold it in place so it wouldn't get in the way when you were walking about. The wide belt also served to hold the bottom of the breastplate in place 
as well as being the holder for a lot of equipment. If the belt was not in place, you'd always be in danger of tripping up over your own clothing. Everything depended on the belt being right, or the rest was useless. Now, let's get to grips with the actual teaching. We've absolutely got to take a stand as a Christian, and here, pictured as a belt, is the first thing we've got to get right. But what is it for us? Well, it's called the belt of truth, so that's a clue. But truth can be a description of actual facts, or truth can refer to a state of genuineness, or again, truth is a major part of integrity. So when we buckle on the belt of truth, what are we doing? Are we buckling up a set of facts? Are we talking about whether or not we're genuine Christians? Or is it an issue of being people of integrity? The context informs us that truth here refers to a believer's integrity. As a soldier's belt gave freedom of movement, our personal integrity gives freedom with self, with others, and with God. Let me try to explain integrity by giving an example. According to some, the best golfer in history, Bobby Jones, was in the rough at the 1925 US Open when he reported that his ball moved as he addressed it. Without that one-shot penalty, he would have won outright. Instead, Jones finished in a tie and lost the playoff. He scoffed at praise for his sportsmanship. You might as well praise me for not breaking into banks, Jones said before adding, there's only one way to play this game and there's only one way to live victoriously as a Christian. Integrity means doing the right thing even when nobody is watching. It means doing the right thing even when others are not doing the right thing. Integrity means doing the right thing even when others misunderstand and criticise you for what you do. Next was the breastplate of righteousness, which was light in weight and gave ease of movement as well as protection from blows. It was anchored to the belt from above. In Proverbs 4 verse 23, we're taught to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it flows our whole life. The decisions we make determine the outcome of our life. How vital then that we choose to do what's right, not what's popular, and not what we can get away with. Then our feet are to be fitted with readiness. Some historians credit their footwear as one of the reasons why the Roman army was so dominant. It was equipped with spikes on the soles to provide soldiers with grip, strong stance and a good balance, all of which gave them a superior posture in battles that were typically fought on uneven terrain. We need to have a good grip off and take a firm stand on gospel truth. Satan will try to back us into situations to wrong-foot us. Let's not slip up on the fundamentals of the gospel and of the Christian faith. And so we come to the shield of faith. The Romans had a long, rectangular, knees-to-chin shield which protected them from spears, and it could be knelt behind if arrows were raining in on them. Groups of soldiers who were besieging a town could close ranks in formation and hold their shields over their heads to make a huge cover to protect the whole group from fiery arrows. The Roman shield pictures the faith of the believer in the promises of God, taking God at his word, while we're reminded of the benefits of keeping in step with others around us. Next is the helmet of salvation. The Romans had the best helmet of the ancient world. Originally made of animal skin, it was strengthened with bronze or other metal and topped with a horsehair crest, with a visor to protect the face. The greatest battlefield is in our minds. This is the area the enemy wants to attack most. He wants to damage our assured hope of salvation, to cause us to doubt, the Bible encourages us to prepare our minds for action and set them on things above. Finally, the sword of the Spirit, probably referring to the two-edged sword. Its advantage was that the soldier didn't have to turn his sword round to inflict damage to the enemy. Our sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus quoted Scripture. 
May God help us to stand firm on the promises of his word and maintain purity and submissiveness in our relationships. Be thou my battle shield, sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my Thanks, Brian, for bringing us sound teaching from the letter of the Ephesians over the past weeks. Now, if anyone has any comments or questions about what we've heard, Brian would be pleased to help. Just write in by post or email. And as I said earlier, you'd benefit from the booklet, which is a transcript of the whole series of talks, and it's available free of charge. You can have more than one copy if you're going to use them for group study or to pass on to a friend. But just make sure, let us have your personal address Ask for the title Experiencing God in Ephesians and write in. Our postal address is Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I've said before, you can download MP3 versions of some past programmes just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk where you'll find our church website and other helpful material. Uh, Some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programmes is available. So thanks for your company today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the programmes and found them a great benefit. Now We've reached the end of this series. Next week, Brian begins a new six-week series studying the New Testament letter of James. So I hope you can join us, same time, same place. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers and me. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. Be thou my wisdom, thou my true word. I ever with thee